Hello and welcome to An Open Conversation, the podcast series which explores obesity through the lens of policy, prevention, and care. I'm your host, Olivia Barata-Cavalcanti, and today I'll be having an open conversation with Ugueno Steven, CEO of Stolink in Kenya, and Amarita Ravuvu, Entity Policy Advisor at Pacific Community in Fiji. In today's episode, we'll be discussing obesity perceptions and explore cultural differences and perceptions around obesity outside of what we can usually consider to be the mainstream view. So let's talk about obesity. Hello, everyone. I'm extremely pleased to be here today with two amazing speakers. Before we start, I just wanted to give them the opportunity to quickly introduce themselves and then we can jump right in into our conversation today. Thank you, Olivia. Bulavinaka, everyone, and a good evening from Suva, Fiji. I'm Amirita Ravuvu and I work with the Pacific Community as the Non-Communicable Diseases Advisor for policy and planning. It is indeed a pleasure to be here today. Inaka. Hi, everyone. My name is Ogwena Steven. I'm an optimist, entrepreneur, and visionary. I'm an NCD advocate, especially for uh, other NCDs, but also for obesity, having lived with obesity. Also, I'm the founder and CEO of Sterling, an organization that focuses on improving literacy and access to diagnostic services for non-communicable diseases in the East African region. Thank you so much. I'm extremely pleased as well. I couldn't think of two better people to talk about cultural differences and different perceptions in obesity. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about how it is in Kenya and Fiji. So I would like maybe to start with just that. So what is the general perception of obesity in Fiji? In Fiji, obesity is generally framed as an individual health problem that's uh, caused by unhealthy food and physical activity choices. In Fiji, we also perceive obesity to be the direct result of unhealthy eating. And in the Fijian culture, it's uh, viewed as something that's desirable because big is beautiful. So it suggests that obesity is often seen as desirable. And while there seems to be an ongoing mixed preference for both robustness and thinness within Fijian society, living with obesity is also something that we see in Fiji to be capitalized upon by our food industry because they play an important role in reinforcing the idea that Fijians are not interested in losing our weight or eating healthily and that they only look at the present. Obesity is often viewed as that, an individual health problem that's caused by unhealthy eating or physical activity choices. Thank you. What about you, Ogbeno? Can you tell me a little bit more about how obesity is perceived in Kenya? Yeah, it's interesting how we have some similarities between Kenya and Fiji in how obesity is perceived. So in Kenya... As well, obesity is perceived as a direct sort of result of unhealthy eating. But also obesity has different perceptions as you go across the life ages. So, for instance, childhood obesity would be considered a good thing. The community looks at child and they encourage them to eat even more. When they get to teenage years, then obesity is considered something bad because uh, all of a sudden there's a lot of peer pressure and they're considered lazy people, people who eat all the time and people who come from rich families. Most young adults want to have a belly. They want to increase weight because all of a sudden obesity again is considered a sign of wealth and property and achievement. And 
as you go then through the old age, then it goes the other way again because then obesity has mixed perceptions, either as a sign of health and wealth or as a sign of sickness and that you need care and you are discriminated. So there is this sort of varying perceptions across the life ages for obesity in Kenya that has been pushed by the traditional cultures of the area and obesity then is also viewed as something that people want to be. It's considered beautiful. So you both touched on so many interesting things that I want to take a step back and unpack all of them because you talked about being big as being beautiful. You talked about the role of the food industry, about the narrative that obesity is an individual problem and the kind of lifespan changes in that. So I want to unpack all of those because they're interesting. So let's start with something that maybe it's a similarity with many Western countries. So now I live in the UK, I used to live in the US, in Italy, and now even in Brazil where I was born, we have this kind of overall narrative that obesity is uh, the result of individual choice. You just decide to eat unhealthy or not to be active, and hence you have obesity. And we know that this is not a case. We know that obesity is a complex disease. Are there any steps that have been taken or are being taken in your countries to change this narrative? Are you seeing any movement towards the direction or is it still extremely rooted? And if not, is there anything that we can be doing about this? I've often thought about this as well, that if obesity was to be, I mean, viewed as a disease here, if the framing was that, whether that would change the urgency towards addressing it or, you know, in terms of the attention that's paid to it. But I think for Fiji and and certainly for the Pacific region, obesity has always been framed as an individual health problem and it's that it's attributed to poor food choices and attitudes towards physical activity and daily living. And I think because of this framing, a lot of our policies there are largely preventative policies. It's not something that's leaning towards the treatment side. And I often ask my team that if we were to frame it differently, would that change the way uh, it is handled in Fiji or even, even across the Pacific because our organization deals with 22 member countries and territories? The the message that I get is that that the messaging will not change anytime soon uh, because the causes of obesity remain the same here and it's viewed as that, as it's a part of unhealthy diet or it's part of physical in- inactivity. And so the strategies uh, to overcome obesity remain preventative ones, at least for us here in Fiji, and that we need to be focusing on increasing knowledge and awareness and interventions as enablers of making the healthy choice the easier choice. Yeah, it's a bit same, but it's also a bit different in the sense that we have currently a lot of problems in the health system as it is to the extent where obesity is not considered a big problem. And because of that, then efforts that are, you know, are being taken towards giving the right information on obesity out there or changing the narrative on obesity or even including it as a disease and training professionals towards that have been very slow and not as progressive as they should be. People still do not recognize that things like the environment, the food industry, the sugar industry, all of those control how people live and how obesity then develops and progresses. But also there is a lack of urgency for even recognizing that it's a disease because at the bottom of it, there is the cultural perspective of being with weight is something considered beautiful and it's something as is a sign of wealth and is a sign of health. And so 
why would people want to address obesity if culturally it's still perceived as a sign of health and wealth and beauty? And so that is always the challenge that is around. And this has made efforts in the space be primarily preventive in nature. But even the preventive effort, it isn't barely scratching the surface to even begin to change the narrative. Very interesting. Th- thank you for both of your perceptions. First of all, we, we really need to, I think, just take a pause here and maybe for some of the people that are listening to us that might not be in the obesity space and really take this moment to explain that we know by now that obesity is not a result of individual choices. I know between 40 and 70% of a person's weight is determined by genetics. There are environmental factors. There are just peer influence and influence from the media and socially. So it's it's a complex disease. So we just wanted to take a moment to act, to acknowledge that. But you both again touched on something that I think for anyone living in maybe a Western country might be a little bit surprised at that idea that big is beautiful and being in a larger body is considered a status of, of beauty. And I can say my own experience in Brazil, I think definitely it has changed in the last 40 years. When I was a child, I remember I was embarrassed to wear skirts because I thought my legs were too thin. And then I moved to Italy and then I was embarrassed to wear skirts because my legs were too fat for Italy. Depending on where you are, the standard of beauty we all know can change drastically. I wanted to ask you this. We know obviously that obesity as a disease is something that we don't want. We want people to be healthy. But is it a bad thing to consider someone in a larger body beautiful? I feel like the conversation should be not on that front. The conversation should start to shift towards what what is the health side of beauty look like for people who are both with weight and without weight. That is where I feel like the conversation is. And culturally, even though people would accept that culturally as a sign of beauty, people wouldn't accept to be sick if that is the price that comes with being considered beautiful. People would want to be healthy and they'd want to live longer. So if we start to bring that other side of the conversation into this beauty conversation, then we can start to think about it objectively and probably start to make the right decisions around that. I think for the work that we do in Fiji and across the region, the challenge is always framing the message that we achieve a balance with not stigmatizing and ensuring that messages are positive, but at the same time that we're not condoning living with obesity as big is beautiful. And one of the slogans that we see a lot of our health sectors across the region using is big is beautiful, but fat is not. And in framing messages like that, I do not know whether that has been effective, but I, I as a, a, a person that's working in policy and planning, I've always been conscious of framing messages that bring out the strengths in our cultural influences on food, physical activity and body size perceptions. Yeah, I think the more conversations that I've been having as well with, you know, other stakeholders in the obesity space, I think it keeps going back to this idea that it's not about beauty, it's about health and really, you know, trying to adapt that message to whatever country and culture you're talking to. Something that I think you, you both touched on is the idea that maybe in your countries, there are already too many problems, right? You have other health problems, you have development problems. We are in, still in a global pandemic. So how can we make sure that obesity is still a health priority in countries that face so many other problems? So clearly, more than it's just being an opinion, it's a fact that there are other bigger health priorities. But how do we bring obesity into the light? And 
And I feel the first thing would be highlighting obesity and really highlighting it as, as a disease and more than that, as a problem. Because I feel the reason why it is not recognized as a problem, despite the fact that it's on the rise and it's a disease and it also leads to other diseases, is because of these mental models that people have around obesity, which have been influenced by culture and history. I feel like we need to start from the point of highlighting that obesity in itself is a disease and it's a complex disease and highlighting just how much of it is in the country and what the trends has been. So you'd realize that in the obesity space, there isn't a lot of research you know, that backs up the, the data on what obesity is and what are the numbers and how is it progressing over time in different regions. And this could be primarily because of industry influence, say food and sugar and tobacco and the, the food industry, because these facts do not want to come to light. But also probably it could be just because there has been a lack of focus on doing research and coming up with data on obesity. And for governments, in order for governments to put things a priority on the list, there has to be data to back it up. For example, for HIV and maybe even for malaria and TB, there has been a lot of papers done for that and a lot of funding that accompanies that. But when it comes to obesity, there isn't a lot of research in the space, but also a lot of effort in terms of funding. And so even if government wanted to make it a priority, who is then funding this? So that becomes the other challenge. So I feel like in order for us to make it a priority, three things we have to do. One, we have to start to change the narrative towards recognizing obesity as a disease in itself. Two is carrying out research and coming up with numbers and evidence. And three is what we are doing today, using human stories, lived experiences, people who are, you know, have lived with obesity to advocate for it at you know, local, national, uh, global levels, in newspapers, in, in television stations, at the policy tables, having those people included in the conversation. I feel like those are some of the top three ways in which we could begin to get the conversation on obesity going and make it a priority. Right now with COVID-19, I feel like this is still a very a huge opportunity for us in the obesity space to try to make it a priority for governments because the statistics clearly indicate that people living with obesity, you know, are at a higher risk of de developing severe cases of COVID-19 and dying from them even. And there is data to prove that. So leveraging on, on the pandemic and leveraging on that data could be also a huge way for us to begin to make obesity a health priority. I mean, in Fiji, our policymakers, it, it's clear that they invest in obesity prevention policies. And obesity is often seen, you know, as a common risk factor for non-communicable diseases, which is a crisis not only here in Fiji, but across the region. But I think the efforts and the attention to obesity policy development more broadly here in Fiji and in the region, it's often been hampered by the policy landscape. And what I mean by this is that we have the, the economic interests and the health versus wealth debate. We're a very small island development states. Our market economies are, are quite limited. The economic arguments 
tend to win all the time in the health space. And for issues like obesity, it gets sidetracked in these debates. But I also think one of the barriers for change in obesity management here in Fiji also has to do with our agriculture sector and how there hasn't been a lot of investment in that and how it has been poorly organized. Although with COVID, it's forced a lot of changes and emphasis on growing your own local foods, on backyard gardening, all these things that we've been trying to, you know, push as interventions in the obesity and the wider non-communicable diseases space. It seems to have just come together naturally when COVID happened, or maybe COVID has just been a catalyst for it. For obesity to be given the type of attention we would like it to be given, it also has to do with a lot of the lack of awareness amongst our informal sector here in Fiji and the the low familiarity as well of advocacy work amongst relevant ministries, for example, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Youth and Sports. And for Fiji, we introduced, for example, a a, a sugar-sweetened beverage tax um, in 2016. But our research showed that there wasn't a decrease in consumption, even though we are a very price-driven population here in Fiji. In my view, advocacy and awareness, they need to be ramped up uh, to complement obesity prevention policies that we already have in place, because there's no point in putting in place a policy if those that you're trying to change behavior for are not even aware of it. Yes, the complexity of obesity as a problem, I think obviously shows that there is a complexity in the solutions as well. So as you were saying, Mm -hmm. yes, we can have taxes and we can have a series of economic sanctions or regulations, but then we also need to have awareness. And and it's important to have awareness within the government, within the public, within the healthcare sector, because it touches all of the aspects of our life. I wanted to just do a, a final discussion on the part of prevention, then I wanted to move into treatment, but you both touched on the food industry This is something that it's close to my heart as well, because just being from South America, I grew up with this big influence of of the food industry in our taste, in what we like to eat, in what we want to eat. And I would like for you to expand a little bit more on that. Like, how can we work with the food industry or should we not work with the food industry? What is the approach? Is it like it was with the tobacco industry? So they are the devil. We're not talking to them. There's no compromise. Or do we need to find a conciliatory approach? What can we do? Because right now the research is clear. We know that ultra processed food makes people eat more. They are specifically engineered for people to consume more of it. So we do know that people who consume ultra-processed food tend to have a much higher calorie intake every day. So we know it is a driver of obesity. What are the next steps in this space with the food industry? I feel like we have to work with them. If we are to go further, we have to recognize that they exist and we have to find ways to work with them. So for instance, there is this interesting research that I read that there was this food chain that started to offer vegetarian healthier options on the menu and the results indicated that they made just as much money at the end of that trial test this was i think in the uk they made just as much money with that and this was healthier food options and people were driven to the place because then the place advocated for help and they had food options to support that so Bringing evidence like that to sort of the food industry and saying, hey, look, some other people have tried it 
And it shows that you still don't lose on the money. You probably even make more of it because now consumers perceive you as a health food organization, then you're able to make money for you. So that would be one very good way because for them, as opposed to us who are looking at health, for them, it's business. So they are looking at the money. If you are able to give them evidences of the financial case for them and how that would translate for, you know, in terms of either profits or increasing customers or loyalty to them, then that is how they might be inclined to start to introduce some of these food options and, you know, start to introduce healthier food options that then lead to a decrease in unhealthy eating and definitely obesity. But also, on the other hand, there's a very huge revolution now towards, you know, the green movement. People want to eat healthy. People are conscious about where the food is coming from. And so if we can tap onto that, we're able to communicate that, hey, this is where the world is going to, and you can be part of this change. This is something we uh, struggle with here in Fiji and the constant uphill battle against the food industry. We had a NCD strategy consultation meeting with the private sector in uh, March of 2020. And we just wanted to hear from the food industry, what exactly is it that they would like from us in the health sector to be able to support some of the uh, policies that were being pushed through? So in Fiji, we have a marketing regulation at the moment that's sitting with our Attorney General's office and it's been going on 10 years now. The regulation is to restrict unhealthy food advertising to children, uh, to restrict sponsorship at big uh, sporting events uh, for children and so forth. And this hasn't been endorsed yet and the food industry has been a a huge actor in uh, slowing down this process. And I think one of the things that they said that struck me was if you bring us the demand we can supply the healthier alternatives that you want. For someone working in the health space, we see that, yes, awareness and advocacy and getting people to understand what a healthy diet is and why healthy diets are important and so forth and the ripple effects of that is not something that's been done well um, here in Fiji. And perhaps if we market from that angle, perhaps the demand that the food industry is wanting, because a lot of our companies here in Fiji, they've had to bring in healthier alternatives to food products into the market. And it would be very unfair of me to say that they haven't tried. I've seen companies that have tried, but the demand is just not there. So that's one of the areas that I see as an opportunity here in Fiji, is that if they're wanting the demand, if they're willing to make the healthier alternatives, how much effort are we willing to then invest in increasing advocacy and awareness work and getting consumers buy-in on that? I think the second one, again, speaking from the Fiji context, is that there's a need for more frank discussions with industry about what public-private partnerships mean. Fiji certainly tried to do this between 2010 to 2015. I think at the time, the Minister of Health was a big advocate for bridging the gaps between the food industry and the health sector. That came apart in 2015, and a lot of the negotiations that took place, leaving the food industry with the option to self-regulate, which is not what we wanted from the health sector. So I'm of the view that there needs to be more frank discussions as well with them and a lot more consultations than what we do here in Fiji as part of a tick-in-the-box exercise that we've consulted them, that we're getting this policy in place and just expecting them uh, to buy in into the policy changes we want to push forward. I think it's a hand-holding consultation process 
process that they need to be informed from the beginning when we're trying to develop policies for a healthier population to when we implement so that they are not caught by surprise. At least that's what we see in here in the Fiji context. And I see that as opportunities um, of change and trying to bridge that gap between food industry and the health sector so that one is not seen as the uh, bad guy in the room, so to speak. Yeah? Yeah, and I think what we've seen in other countries that have been successful in having um, sugar sweetened beverage taxes and front of package labeling, very strong front of package labeling signals like in Mexico or in Chile, it takes time. There were consultations for sometimes years and many stakeholders involved and it takes a lot of time to advocate successfully for something. It will take a little bit of time. I just, you know, I think that we touched on many interesting issues around obesity prevention But I wanted to also touch on the part of treatment because right now we have around 650 million people living with obesity around the world. So yes, it is crucial to prevent, but we also cannot forget about those people that are living with obesity right now. And what are we doing about them? What is happening to people living with obesity in Fiji and Kenya right now? What kind of treatment options they have? What kind of support they have, if they have any, or what are the biggest barriers that they're facing? That's a very uh, interesting question because in Kenya we have, I feel like we still have a very big problem when it comes to obesity treatment because the fact that it hasn't been recognized as a disease in the first place and the fact that there is communal and cultural undertones to you know that reasoning, then there has been a lot of challenges of bringing treatment options in the obesity space so that there are very few practitioners who can clearly treat obesity or even help people manage them. And if you wanted to have options like bariatric surgery and stay on medication, then those would be very high-end, very costly, and very few people can access those kind of treatment because, again, it's it's, uh, because it's not considered a disease, these services become an exclusive package for those who can be able to afford. So there is that challenge when it comes to the treatment of and prevention of obesity. But also the other thing is when you look at the treatment of obesity, then we have to start to look at, is there training in the universities and health colleges on obesity in the first place? And most of the time, it's not there. So you're either taught this as a unit and that's it. And it's grouped with all a lot of other diseases. So there is always that challenge as well with the uh, treatment for obesity, which then brings this challenge of obesity in general and how it's being treated in the country. But having said that, people are coming up and organizations are coming up are trying to solve the challenge, but the challenge still very much exists. So yeah, so Gwena, you touch on something that is, you know, really important. We usually don't teach obesity in medical schools, which is a huge lack that we find in training. And then those physicians go out and they see patients with obesity, but they don't know the science behind that disease or how to treat them. And what about in Fiji, Marita? What's the treatment situation um, in your country? In Fiji, it's very similar to Kenya as well in that obesity treatment options and management is on the sideline. Again, it's not something that's taught in our medical schools here. 
There's no training in a lot of ways that contributes to how it is handled when our graduates go into the health sector and they're actually practicing. And again, because of the framing of obesity here, it's seen as a non-communicable disease health problem and a, a common risk factor for most NCDs. So you know, the Ministry of Health here in Fiji, their message to reverse obesity usually, again, advocates drawing on individual determinants of obesity and the messaging speaks to lifestyle changes that can be uh, made to prevent uh, weight gain from happening. That's the the situation here in Fiji. But in saying that, I think if if we were to move a step further, there's also going to be more need for research in our context so that more evidence to be able to recommend specific intervention characteristics to optimize obesity treatment outcomes here in Fiji. Thank you. So this has been an extremely interesting conversation. I think we touched on so many interesting things. I I wish we had the time to unpack every little thing that I know both of you mentioned. But to finish up and thinking that maybe there are some people listening to us that don't know much about obesity and about our work, what is the number one thing that you would like those people to know about obesity and, and about what can be done? Our messaging draws on those individual determinants. Yes, obesity is a disease. Yes, it's influenced by several uh, factors. It's complex. It's not very straightforward. But I think for many of us trying to reverse Obesity can also be a personal choice. And certainly here in Fiji, I will, working in the health sector, echo as well some of the the messaging that we used to advocate and that your health um, is important, that balancing food and exercise is important, that improving the quality of foods that are consumed is also important. But that if you're living with obesity and it's more than just those things that I've mentioned, then perhaps consultations with medical professionals who can speak to uh, the issues that a person living with obesity is struggling with would be my advice as well. But yeah, for Fiji and I guess for anyone in the Pacific that will be listening to this podcast, I will also be echoing what we uh, advocate for here and that's speaking to lifestyle changes that can be made to prevent weight gain from happening. As a final message, I'd really like to emphasize the fact that obesity is in fact a disease and that people should begin to realize that and that as a disease, it's complex, not just caused as a result of unhealthy eating and diets, and that there are things like genetics, external environment, the food industry, that all contribute to someone living with obesity. But also I like to really emphasize on the point that as people living with obesity, sometimes people relapse and it's okay. And the focus should be towards being healthier above all else, especially when it comes to the conversation on obesity. And just to say that we as young people and as advocates, we need to stand up. We need to continue to advocate for obesity. We need to put it out there through advocacy, through policy briefs, so that in the end, in another few years, we don't meet again and talk about these conversations again, that we say that we met again and that we had some changes that happened in the space. I love that message. I hope to meet both of you again, Amarita and Ogueno, and maybe we can talk about something else because we have solved the problem of obesity. I love that. <laughs> this has been a, you know, an incredible, interesting conversation. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing with us everything that is happening in your countries. It was a pleasure having you today. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, we have come to the end of the episode. Thank you to our guests, Amerita Ravuvo and Ogueno Steven for your valuable insights. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to continue the conversation on Twitter, please use the hashtag OpenConversation. If you have enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you listen to your podcasts. You can always find more about Open at www.obesityopen.org. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Open Obesity and on LinkedIn by searching the Obesity Policy Engagement Network so you can hear all about our new episodes. I've been your host, Dr. Olivia Barata Cavalcanti, and thank you for joining an open conversation.